Hey everyone, Jason here. I am the My Climate Journey show host. Before we get going, I wanted to take a minute and tell you about the My Climate Journey, or MCJ as we call it, membership option. Membership came to be because there were a bunch of people that were listening to the show that weren't just looking for education, but they were longing for a peer group as well. So we set up a Slack community for those people that's now mushroomed into more than 1,300 members. There is an application to become a member. It's not an exclusive thing. There's four criteria we screen for. Determination to tackle the problem of climate change. Ambition to work on the most impactful solution areas. Optimism that we can make a dent and we're not wasting our time for trying. And a collaborative spirit. Beyond that, the more diversity, the better. There's a bunch of great things that have come out of that community, a number of founding teams that have met in there, a number of nonprofits that have been established, a bunch of hiring that's been done, a bunch of companies that have raised capital in there, a bunch of funds that have gotten limited partners or investors for their funds in there, as well as a bunch of events and programming by members and for members, and some open source projects that are getting actively worked on that hatched in there as well. At any rate, if you want to learn more, you can go to myclimatejourney.co, the website, and click the Become a Member tab at the top. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guests are James Farrell and Raphael Haupt from Toucan. Toucan is bringing carbon as a new money Lego to Web3. They're kickstarting an open and decentralized climate finance ecosystem. And they're doing so by building a suite of modular tools and products that make it easy for others to integrate climate finance into their products and reduce the barrier for climate action. Now, I was a little intimidated to have this discussion because I've been focused on climate the last three years, as you know, and that's been a lot and continues to be a lot for me to learn about. Well, Web3 is a whole other beast, and it's one that I've spent far less time on. But there's some interesting things that are starting to happen at that intersection, and that's exactly where Toucan lives. So I was appreciative that Raphael and James took the time to come on the show. This is a longer episode than usual, partly just because I had so little context about Web3 coming in that there was a lot to talk about. We cover some Web3 basics, for my benefit. We also get into some of the things that are happening at the intersection of Web3 and climate. We step outside of that and look at carbon markets in general and what's working well about them, what some of the gaps are or some areas for improvement, we also talk about what a well-functioning carbon market could look like, and then we get into where Toucan fits, because that's exactly what they're trying to do. At any rate, I greatly enjoyed this one, and I think you will as well. James, Raphael, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, Jason. Nice to meet you. That was in unison. That was awesome. <laughs> Is it going to go that way the whole discussion? 
<laughs> Hopefully Should not. Be. I mean, we spend way too much time together. So yeah, that might very much happen. We're pretty much one brain at this stage, like finishing yeah. each other's sentences and this kind of stuff. Well, listeners weren't privy to the, the little small talk we did before we started recording, but you are actually both using this virtual software, but from the same physical location. Exactly. Adapting to the new reality of the virtual reality. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, very excited for this discussion. I have been very focused on climate across sectors for the last few years, and that's been keeping me more than busy. But I can't help notice that there's a lot happening in Web3, and it feels like an area that, at the very least, we should be paying a lot more attention to. And, and you guys happen to be focused right at the intersection of both of those things, which makes this a really exciting discussion and a timely one for me to have. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely feels like we sit at the intersection between Web3 and climate, and that's often something we say. And we even have a bridge between those two worlds. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a that's great even That's like part of the product name, right? Somehow. Somehow it indeed. is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, I personally believe that these two things are going to like, solve a lot of the coordination problems around the climate crisis. So I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about that. Personally, I have to say, but obviously I'm biased, you know, spending a couple of years and down that rabbit hole specifically. Well, to set the stage for listeners and for me, maybe we should just take things from the top. So what is Toucan? So Toucan is open infrastructure for the decentralized web. So, you know, what you refer to as Web3 and we're like kickstarting what we call the regenerative finance ecosystem. And, you know, regenerative finance is short or like is the long version of refi which is kind of a, a game of word play with DeFi. So, you know, DeFi is, you know, the craziness that's going on on chain, blockchain-based finance systems. And we do think that we need a DeFi, a decentralized finance ecosystem that essentially is aligned with the planetary boundaries. And we call it ReFi. And I don't want to claim it. We coined a term. It's very much a term that is, you know, there's multiple actors at the intersection of crypto and climate. And this is kind of the the meme that we're gravitating towards. And I really like it. Now, what is the difference between ReFi and DeFi? I mean, decentralized finance is, you know, essentially the idea of building a financial ecosystem that is that is always on, that is, you know, censorship resistance, like there's no barriers to entry. And essentially, a lot of the coordination that happens within a financial system is, is done by smart contracts, right? Which reduces a lot of barriers and makes it easy for people to create very complex financial applications out of their bedrooms, right? Without asking for permission. And I think what this has created, this like lack of barriers creates like incredibly strong force of innovation, which is why the space is moving so quickly and that it's almost impossible to keep track with, right? And the refi part of this now is essentially saying, you know, like DeFi is copying a lot of the things that we have in traditional finance, just like replicating a lot of these models and bringing them, you know, what we call on-chain. So, you know, powered on blockchains, basically built on blockchains. And, you know, it makes sense to copy things that already exist because it's easier to have to reinvent the wheel. But I personally believe that our financial system is broken and has contributed a lot to, you know, the point that we are in history right now with like, like ecological crisis. And so ReFi is essentially the approach to create a regenerative finance ecosystem and a financial ecosystem that has regeneration at its core. So, you know, regenerative principles by design. And just to give you an idea, like if we if we use money as you know our medium of exchange every day, 
today money is you know backed by the power of the US military or by oil or essentially just the social contract that we all believe that money is real and worth something. But you know, we can back money by things that we care about like biodiversity, carbon and like natural resources. So this is an example like if we did that, if we had money that is backed by by the things that we actually care about without even noticing people just transacting in this clean currency or whatever you want to call it, it would create like regeneration without people even noticing. So I think we have, you know, essentially we have the power to create systems that align incentives in a way that, you know, planet earth as like the stakeholder that has always been forgotten is part of the equation essentially. And I mean, a lot of what you're saying in terms of traditional fiat currency and the military complex and oil and things like that, Web3 by definition is an alternative to that. And so when you bring in these regenerative principles, what are the elements for refi that are not included in DeFi? The term refi is very young. And funnily enough, we're actually launching a podcast that is going to be called the refi podcast. And part of this podcast is to define the term properly. So you know, whatever I say here should be taken with a grain of salt or whatever James says, because like, this is something that is emerging. James, I don't know, you know, maybe you want to take a shot at this. I just wanted to like, point out that this is all nascent. Yeah, totally. Decentralized finance itself has been very good at sort of removing middle people, right? And incentivizing actors to act without the need to be a central controlling body who profits, right? I mean, the miners who do the mining on the blockchains, they're incentivized for the ensuring of the security of the blockchains. And so if we kind of map this over to refi, it's kind of, well, how do we incentivize all actors within a regenerative financial system to benefit all of the participants in the system itself, right? Including mother nature as Rafa pointed out. So, I mean, blockchains in and of themselves allow for the creation of these incentive mechanisms, right? That token economics can be used to encourage behaviors by making it something that everybody wants to do. And through the designing of these token economical systems, it really is possible to align incentives and have everybody come out as a winner. So I would say refi as a concept is definitely nascent and we're definitely figuring it out. And at its heart, it's about creating something sustainable of an economy that doesn't repeat the mistakes that we've made previously. And yeah, I mean, getting us all pulling in the right direction, I would say. Yeah. We can use terms like sustainable finance or in the context of carbon markets, often we use the word climate finance, which, you know, the idea of how do you finance some of these climate projects that you know, are reforestation projects or renewable energy installations, et cetera. So, you know, at its core, the climate crisis is, is also very much a, a money problem, right? Like we have to allocate a lot of resources to places to mitigate the, the damages that already happened and prevent more from happening. So I think the idea is how do we make capital flow to the places that they need to go in a manner that is very effective and doesn't require middlemen or that extract value typically in, in, within the system. And this is, you know, this is why we focused on carbon markets specifically, because it's, it's also one of these markets that are still in their infancy, if you want. And it's a market that is historically... There's a lot of middlemen and women taking extracting value. And I think it's not a very efficient market. So this is why we chose to focus on there. Okay. So what I've heard so far is that 
there are issues with the current global financial system that are intertwined with the planetary issues and that Web3 addresses some of those in terms of removing middlemen and women and bringing more transparency and more decentralization and I don't know if egalitarianism is the right word, but but that you envision a world where we can take it even a step further and take Web3 principles and essentially factor in the externalities in a more explicit way. And that you think that the carbon market is one area that is ripe for that philosophy to be imparted. And so I assume, and we haven't talked about where Toucan fits into this specifically yet, but that that's where Toucan's focus is taking refi principles and bringing it to carbon markets. Is that right? Totally. Yeah, that's our that's like our first first step. And I mean, the sustainable finance you know space right now is like is hot, and everybody's talking about ESG and everything like that. But the reality is that a lot of people don't know how to get there, how to get to a sustainable finance ecosystem. And we believe that this shift from like a you know from the status quo to a financial system that is in line with our planetary boundaries, this shift can and should go hand in hand with a shift towards a decentralized system. So I had a really cool chat with Rune from Akedow who said, you know, leapfrogging and having these two technologies kind of, or like these two things going hand in hand. So yeah, I, re- I believe in that, like similar to how countries that never had like mobile, you know, telephone lines just jump straight to mobile. I think that with their regenerative finance ecosystem, they can just jump straight to blockchain essentially. And, you know, you named some of the principles which are decentralization, but also, you know, governance is a big one. I think that some refer to it also as, you know, the ownership economy, the idea that the users should also be owners in the system. So kind of distribute ownership in systems more broadly and like align the incentives across all stakeholder groups. And at its core, it's how do we build technology that is a commons, right? Technology that that is collaborative by nature and not, not competitive. And I think Web3 offers a lot of these, and we're probably going to talk about DAOs later, I guess, but you know, this idea of autonomous organizations that are governed by, by people from the community and that can you know, that align incentives between these users and still provide infrastructure that is like a commons, essentially. Yeah, I mean, there's several, like that's definitely a big part of it, right? I mean, there's several characteristics that you know, are quite specific to blockchains, right? And like one of the biggest questions Rafa and I continue to ask ourselves, especially in the earlier days was why blockchain, right? Like, why are we doing this? Like, why is it going to be better? And there's certain core principles or fundamentals of blockchains, like characteristics that they have that are really, in our opinion, what make them the perfect home for what needs to happen, right? So first of all, the transparency of it, that everything is on chain, that everyone can see what's happening. All of these transactions represent every piece of value. And it's not just monetary value, right? It's also the exchange of impact. I mean, it's about, you know, money getting to the people who do the good work and also like getting that impact back to those polluters who pay or whoever else is going to, right? So that transparency is one aspect, right? The other aspect is this trustless nature that everyone talks of, right? That the innovation of blockchain is really that you no longer needed to trust a central party to make sure that you actually took that electronic money out of your bank and actually sent it to somebody, you know, like that was necessary in a world where we had to make sure that it wasn't sent to two different people at once, right? And so 
you know, proof of work with Bitcoin was the first to solve this issue where we didn't need a trusted central authority anymore, that we could trust the network itself, essentially. And I think in carbon markets, it's clear that, you know, on the one side, we have polluters who want to pay. And on the other side, we have doers who want to do. And currently, all paths between these two important key stakeholders in the system are through a sort of central body of actors who play a very important role, first of all, in educating companies about what are quality, what do they want to choose to have on their book or choose to offset with. And this is all for companies about, you know, mitigating risk, right? Like none of these companies want to get caught with their pants down in 10 years where they had spent a million dollars a year offsetting themselves only to find out 10 years later that this project was a scam and it's in all the newspapers. And so companies are fearful of this. And we know this because we spoke to them. We've done a lot of customer developments with all kinds of big companies all over the world. And so these companies are prepared to pay a premium on top of what they could pay for these credits, right? Like in order to mitigate that risk. But ultimately this creates for an inefficient market, right? Like the value capture in the middle is value that doesn't go to the projects. And it's definitely the case that this affects pricing. And it's definitely the case that there's plenty of projects that just don't happen as a result of this, right? So it's an important job in education, educating people and also, you know, ensuring that, you know, these assets are of value. However, with blockchain and transparency, like we have the ability to design systems that can play this role, that can really remove the need to trust because it's completely clear and obvious and anyone can validate and verify that credits are of quality, that actors can be independently incentivized within the system to make sure of quality and to to reassure and put an extra value layer or an extra validation layer on top of this. And like these kind of things come from the first principles of blockchains, right? Like this like transparency, this trustless nature. And yeah, I mean, all of this is important. I mean, efficient markets consume and produce more, right? Like when value can flow unhindered, then more value can flow. Like this is kind of an underlying first principle philosophy, I would say. Taking a step back before we get too far down the toucan path, can you talk a bit about both the origin story of the project? I don't know if you call it a project or, or a company, but also the origin story, like your own origin stories that led you to coming together and to doing the work that you're doing. Toucan started as CO Toucan, actually, which was a hackathon name, actually. So it started as a hackathon project at ETH London in February 2020. So right before the pandemic and essentially it was born out of a out of a couple of things like first of all it was uh, i've been in crypto since 2017 like so many people and so i'm i'm an engineer by training my focus is energy systems actually so when i discovered blockchains and like bitcoin through one of my roommates um, i was like immediately kind of fascinated about the impact of of blockchains for the energy sector and kind of focused on this peer-to-peer energy use case that everybody was, was talking about a couple of years ago. And then I I got really excited about DAOs. That was in 2019. And I looked at the climate crisis and was like, this is a governance problem, right? Like the reason that we failed to solve climate change is because we, we don't have the governance systems in place to address it. And like governments are just not incentivized to do the right thing, right? The incentives are not aligned. So that's what made me really curious to look at the intersection of DAOs and climate essentially. And then 
I wrote my bachelor thesis back in the day about carbon markets. And then I think like all these puzzle pieces came together. And I went to London with the idea of building a DAO that tokenizes carbon credits, right? So pretty much what we are doing now already. But back then, obviously, the idea was not as ripe. And I was very naive about carbon markets, I would say, also also still at that point. You know, it's it's one of these rabbit holes. I use that term way too often, but the carbon market is one of these rabbit holes where you think it's quite simple, but it's actually extremely complex. So we went to ETH London. We hacked together the first version of, of CO2CAN. And then I joined a venture builder out of London called Deep Science Ventures, which, you know, Dom was on the show a couple of months ago. So you should know him. And that was really a place where we could think, you know, and we could learn and really, you know, that's where also James and my, and my path crossed. And James, I'll let you talk about how that happened. But essentially, we spent more than six months in one room with, I think it was 12 whiteboards or 13 whiteboards. And we're basically just going up and down the carbon value, the carbon value system. And we're trying to find, okay, where does crypto and climate actually, you know, where does it fit? And how can we, where does this really solve a problem that needs to be solved? And it feels like, it was really challenging because it felt like we had to build every piece of the puzzle ourselves, right? Like there's not every part of the value chain like needs to be disrupted, in my opinion. It was really hard for, for like a young, you know, young project to find the place that you could actually, you know, find the building blocks that you could build upon. And ultimately, we decided we had a lot of, you know, our main focus has always been the projects underground, as you know, James alluded to earlier. We were trying, like, how do we get finance to the projects and we tried to convince them to come to Web3 because, you know, it was easier for them to to find buyers or because it was more transparent and remove the middleman. But honestly, nobody nobody really cared because there was no clear demand signal coming from, you know, on-chain. And so we decided to focus on, on the demand side. And, you know, this sounds like it was very straight line. It was not like it was really frustrating. We took a break. And James and I got back together after this break and like just finished basically what we started with CO2CAN because it was more built on an intuition than, than like, a, you know, obviously we learned a lot, but we decided to, to finish it. And we started working together with KimaDAO, which is a carbon back currency and which really, you know, gave us a very clear goal to work towards as well. So yeah, and then we launched in October this year. And since then we moved, I didn't check, I think it's like something like 13 million carbon credits on chain and yeah, more every day. So it's pretty mind boggling to be honest. And it's been quite a ride since then, both before the launch and now after the launch. I mean, for me, like we didn't start at exactly the same time, right? Like CO2 can happen at a hackathon in London first. My backstory is I'm over 20 years a software engineer, and I spend most of that time as a consultant, you know, doing contract work for all sorts of different companies, generally trying to make as much money as possible and then save up that money, take some months off and then work on my passion projects. And this became a very dry, empty world. And everything changed for me one day when I went to a hackathon, a different hackathon with a team here from Berlin. And I took part in a scaling wildlife protection track there that was very much focused on blockchain. And that was with Burchain is the name of the group. And the hackathon was the Odyssey Hackathon. And we ended up winning that track. And it sort of really changed the trajectory of my life in that I realized I could really use all of these skills and experience that I've developed over the years to, you know, do something meaningful, something like close to the heart. And so this for me was really a game changer. And after this time, 
me and Alex, one of the other team members, like we basically spent our life savings and dedicated ourselves to trying to figure out how to solve what for us was one of the trickiest problems, like we thought, which was all around, like, you know, how do you validate and verify impact, right? Like, how do you make sure that someone's actually done something, you know? We're very familiar with someone walking around with a hat and throwing money in there, but we totally trust them to do the best thing with that. And we don't really know what they end up doing, right? So in the hackathon, we lost over like solving this problem because all we actually wanted to do was allow NGOs to issue a kind of badge to people who gave time or people who gave money. And we wanted this badge to be a live data-driven badge, right? That like was driven by the impact that was created by this work or whatever. And, you know, you click on it and you'd see the KPIs that were behind this, the data that was behind this beautiful badge or whatever, but we glossed over this, you know, validation of impact or verification of, of impact. And it turns out like that's the trickiest part. And thousands of people have banged their heads against the wall on that one and continues to do so for, you know, quite a long time. But when I was watching Twitter one day and Raphael like came across like a, a shooting star, I immediately recognized that carbon credits solve this problem that, you know, even though they're not perfect and even though they are, what they are right. They actually are a kind of, you know, validated verified impact. You know, someone may have gone and hugged a tree there. And so by abstracting that out to, you know, people like Vera world standard that we could actually build what we really wanted to build in the first place. And I could get my head out of these scientific papers about remote sensing and machine learning and all this stuff and actually go ahead and build what I would like to build. Right. So Got in touch with Raphael here. It turned out he was in Berlin also. And we met for a coffee. And yeah, the two of us wouldn't stop talking for quite a long time. I think for both of us, it was really the first time we had met someone else who really, that we could talk to, right? Because like, when you think about this stuff, like for so long, you go down so many of these rabbit holes, like there's very few people who can really understand you, right? So serendipity had it that we were very close by. And since then, yeah, as Rafa said, we locked ourselves in, in a room for six months with 13 whiteboards, you know, mapped out many different companies or like entities or organizations that would need to exist to make this new economy. And yeah, after a break, went back to the beginning and said, okay, well, look, what is the lever that we can pull? Like, what can we do that would have the biggest impact? And for us, what was clear is that there would need to be like some kind of way to like transmit value between all of these actors, like a kind of mycelium that allows value to flow. And there's certain particular primitives, in this case, Web3 primitives, that would enable that value to flow, right? And that's, that's really where we started. And that's why we went back to the origin idea of tokenized carbon, because that really is the kind of like the building block with which everything else can be built, right? I mean, so far, we built a kind of carbon bridge, as we call it. And we also have built what we call carbon reference pools. So the first of which is called the base carbon ton, which is what is used as the underlying value in Klimadao. And this is because, you know, carbon projects are what we call semi-fungible. So it's like there's fungibility, which is a term that simply means that things are the same as each other, like dollars. You can exchange $10 for 10 single dollar coins, right? And it doesn't matter because they're all the same thing. And then you have non-fungibility, which is essentially unique items that generally have some unique identifying characteristics. So that's a non-fungible item. And carbon projects, like there is fungibility, right? Like at the level of projects and at the level of vintage, there is fungibility. But in terms of building markets and in terms of building, you know, 
really deep systems that can allow value to flow, like we really need deeper liquidity. So the purpose of these pools, well, in this case, the base carbon ton pool really is to create deep liquidity and fungibility. So, so this is kind of the two pieces of infrastructure that we've we started with, I would say. Well, that, that was super helpful. So now what it might be fun to do is putting aside Toucan and even putting aside Web3, now we're just outside of ourselves and we're looking at the carbon markets. Carbon markets get a lot of shit. The lack of transparency, incentives are all screwed up, you know, lack of quality, lack of additionality, right? And I, I just led you, which I try not to do, so I wish I could take back everything I just said, but I don't wanna talk about solutions for a moment. I just wanna talk about the problem. If you step outside of yourselves and look at the carbon markets today, in a world that Web3 does not exist, in a world that Toucan does not exist, what do you see? What's the state of the state and what's wrong with it? I mean, like we did six months of deep research on a grant, right? Like, so a part of this was a lot of customer development, hundreds of calls. And the conclusion that we came to is that there's kind of two, you know, two types of actor on the buy side, right? There's generally speaking, and like I'm generalizing, this is opinion, I'm not saying it's fact, but this is my opinion on the matter. Like there's generally two types of actor. The first is sort of bigger corporates. And these bigger corporates are kind of more interested in numbers. So they care less about quality and they just care about balances and ticks and this kind of thing. And then there's other types of companies that are more interested in the ability to tell stories. And in this kind of way, like we see, you know, some companies prefer to give their money to like tree planting organizations or to biodiversity charities or like something that allows them to tell the story, right? In the case of Stripe, they decided to make their own technological-based approach, for example, right? And that's that's also about story to some extent. And so there appears to be these two different types of actors. And so generally speaking, like this is like at a very high level, I would say somehow. But quite frankly, the biggest problem as far as I see it is that we're measuring things in terms of tons of carbon, right? Like we're really looking at it as if like this is a sensible thing to do at all. And if that was a sensible thing to do and you wanted to just, you know, produce carbon assets, then you should get like the fastest growing monoculture trees, plant them and as quickly as possible, you know, certify them or whatever, right? But this doesn't help biodiversity. This doesn't help community. This doesn't help anything around permanence or any of the other business, right? And so, I mean, for us, it's super clear that the whole thing is super problematic because if you don't create opportunities for jobs and improve health, improve education, gender equality, all of these things, like it's not really going to solve the problem for very long anyway, even if you are successful in producing carbon assets, right? If I can stop that, I just, so I think what you're saying, so point issue number one is that the criteria for what makes a carbon credit is too one track and not robust enough to make sure that that credit is of sufficient quality. Did I get that right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I wandered around a little bit there and pulled you left and right. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's simply that like, we're trying to actually measure this impact and we're measuring it in tons of carbon. And in reality, like it's not, in my opinion, the best way to create the best impact, right? Like we need to look after human beings and people and social well-being uh, goes hand in hand with environmental well-being, right? But it's super difficult to quantify that and measure that and create a market for that as such. So the only sort of asset that's actually got a market or like there's an actual asset that could be traded is carbon, right? I mean, loosely speaking, there is other ideas out there, biodiversity is coming, 
etc but in my opinion like optimizing for a single unit of account like this is somehow problematic right but it's an imperfect world and we're you know imperfect and getting better every day right so i think that this unit of account approach is responsible for a lot of the issues i would say and i guess to me it's connected to how we decide to measure success while we are trying to increase well not when i say we i mean while companies or individuals are trying to increase their sort of social capital or their social reputation through through participating in these markets i would say yeah this unit of account is, is one of these that is always difficult when you just look at a, a problem with like a certain colored glasses on right you look at it and you see the world in a certain color but that's just the reality of the complex system that we're interacting with like it's always you can look at the climate crisis and even if you think you do everything right you can end up creating harm somewhere else if you don't really do it right so i think this is why the car market has come under a lot of pressure especially in the past and you know monocultures of trees or projects that have actually displaced indigenous people and yeah but Another point, in my opinion, is that it's just not really a well-functioning market, right? The majority of the carbon market exists over the counter. In, it happens behind closed doors. It's not really clear which prices transactions are executed oftentimes. So, and this, you see that very often in the market that is opaque, where it's actually a lot of the actors within the market, they profit from the lack of transparency in the market because they can you know, use this information asymmetry to extract value. This is what we see you know, middleman brokers, et cetera, that do that, in my opinion. And then also combined with buyers that often don't have maybe the, the right reasons to purchase carbon credits. And, it, you know, you see that very, very often that companies will buy like 90% of cheap hydropower credits, and then they will like purchase 10% of like reforestation or like higher quality nature-based credits. And then they're just going to put the nature-based credits on their website, Right. And they're going to say, yeah, we offset like X amount of carbon, but most of it comes from sources that are maybe less, you know, less trustworthy. So, and this is one of the problems that obviously having carbon markets on chain can solve because we, we have a track record of exactly who compensates emissions with what. But yeah, without going to crypto. So lack of transparency, obviously, is one. Then I think a big, big problem is that carbon markets, you always talk about it's a lot of things, right? It's avoided emissions, it's reduction, it's credits that are based on reduction of emissions. And then you have the other world, which is carbon removal, which is often like, you know, we talk about these things as if they're the same, but they're very, very different, in my opinion. And they're both very, very important, in my opinion, right? Like, it's obvious we are in a system where we like keep emitting more, right? Like the first thing, if you're like in in the pool and there's too much water in the pool, the first thing you do is that you close the tap, right? And then the second thing that you do is like you pull the plug. So we have to do both, that's my opinion. And I'm I'm not a friend of like being too evangelistic about one solution over the other, I have to say. I see two can playing a role in both worlds, absolutely. And the way that we've built the system is that it, it already allows for both worlds to coexist. So it's the unit of account, it's the lack of transparency. Were there other issues with the carbon market as it sits today? I mean, the lack of quality that comes sometimes with this lack of transparency, obviously. I mean, additionality, I think, is one of the biggest problems, especially with like avoided emissions. And then with carbon removal, you have the big problem of permanence or, or durability, right? So each side comes with a big, 
you know, custom problem if you want. I mean, there are some people that say that carbon markets in general, by definition, just give an excuse for an action and that ultimately they should be abolished. They're not working anyways. They're convoluted. They're full of crap. The incentives are all screwy and that we just need to reduce our emissions and, and stop messing around. It sounds like you, you have a different view than that, though. Can you maybe speak to how you think about that? Because you just laid out all the issues with the carbon markets. It sounds like a mess. Yeah, it is. I have a slightly different view, I would say. Like, first of all, I do think, yes, we absolutely have to reduce our emissions. And I think one of the problems with carbon markets is that the only use case of carbon markets today is to match these like positive externalities, which, you know, carbon offsets are kind of packaged positive externalities, if you want. And the only use case that we have for them is to match them with negative externalities, which is a slightly boring use case, in my opinion. And I agree, we have to go beyond carbon neutrality, right? Like just buying your way out of it is not going to cut it, right? And this is why looking at, you know, the first application or like the first project that is making use of our infrastructure of Toucan is KlimaDAO, which is this idea of having a carbon-backed currency, which just drives the price of carbon up for everybody. So increasing the price of carbon means that it creates an incentive for polluters to actually reduce emissions rather than compensate it. And it also creates a price signal for project developers to develop more projects because it's more lucrative. Similar to like when the oil price increased, suddenly fracking was a thing. Like we have to get carbon prices like well above $100, right? Like for meaningful change to happen. And we believe that by basically expanding the use case of carbon offsets, beyond just the idea of like using them as offsets, but using them as a store value, using them as a collateral in other systems, using them as a collateral in, in KlimaDAO, but also using them as collateral in systems like MakeItDAO or the Seller Reserve or, you know, you name it. There's like, now we have, you can do lending against, against carbon credits on chain. Like unlocking all of these applications essentially just increases and just adding more people to the market. Because right now it's a market that is closed. It's really hard to, participate in the carbon market because it's kind of like there's gatekeepers in place that make it really hard for like non-people to participate so our idea is by like allowing everybody to participate in these markets it will be possible to internalize or like to have the future value of carbon reflect in its current price because people are going to price it in and we can have systems like climate that actively create incentives for people to lock carbon away which creates a positive feedback loop essentially right like driving the price of carbon up. So I would say, yes, carbon markets in the way that they exist today are are broken. And a lot of it has to do with the way that carbon offsets are used. But I don't think that we should stop doing projects, right? That do many meaningful change. And I don't think we should stop measuring these projects and trying to analyze how they, you know, how much carbon they have emitted or how much like other co-benefits they have created. And Obviously, there's a lot of problems with the way that it's done, right? The way that these projects are currently monitored is not ideal. It's far from being ideal, and it needs to be more data-driven. It needs to be more transparent. It needs to be more grassroots. The barriers need to be smaller so that small projects can exist. All of these things are true, and this is why it was so hard for us to start, in, in, to start right? Because we, we, you need to build everything at once, essentially, but... Yeah, I don't believe that the idea of having positive impact, measuring it, and then creating incentives for people to reward that positive action is a problem. Yeah, I mean, people are not going to behave better if we just ask them nicely, right? Like, we need a carrot and a stick. And I think at the end of the day, like, 
even if people are going to behave because they look good and you know i mean let's face it reputation is the only sound money we have right like even if we make the statement like this like how do we actually know that people are doing good in the first place like that's still a problem to be solved right and we should also solve that problem right but i think that like clearly we've made a decision around using markets markets assets themselves in order to coordinate value right and like having assets that have a value like allow us to create incentives that allow us to incentivize people to do what's best for them right and if people will do what's like one thing we can be relying on is that people will do what's best for them right so i think market mechanisms allow for that so for me it's definitely part of that equation and even if we go beyond that and allow people to dazzle and shine and you know allow companies to look super awesome and super amazing this needs to be based on data also right not just on advertising or green logos or whatever it's going to be so yeah i mean all of it all of the above exactly like in in crypto you know there's this concept of money legos or you know composable building blocks this is what makes you know decentralized finance incredibly fast is that you have these like small financial or not even financial like you have these small applications that can all be plugged together to build very complex systems and what we've built is the first carbon money Lego that is fully composable and that allows anybody to bring carbon on chain. Like we're just a facilitator of that. And now that we have this composable building block, we can now unleash the whole creativity of Web3 builders and like and builders beyond Web3 obviously as well on creating incentives to do something really cool with these building blocks, right? And we see it already like, you know, as collateral, I think this is one of the biggest use cases, essentially, because if you just look at the amount of like money in the world, I mean, if we can find ways to use carbon as a collateral, this is essentially a new sink, right? We create economic carbon sinks, if you want, by locking it up in like currencies and by locking it up in like automated market makers and all of these things. So this is a huge kind of like part for itself, I would say. The other one is obviously using it as a building block in you know, NFTs, metaverse. So there's a project that is building, you know, a metaverse that is kind of a, a front page to to Web3. It's called Atlantis World. And essentially within their system, they're building this big forest, which is a metaverse forest. So it's like the pixel, a pixel forest, but they want each tree in that forest to have actually sequestered carbon in the real world as well. So this now becomes like extremely easy to build because having carbon as a token and it's an ERC20 token, which is a, a token standard that you know everybody's using on in in like in web3 or is like mostly like in in the ethereum ecosystem this allows people to build cool stuff on top of carbon and you know how do we i was it's hard to explain to my mom or to my grandma that like there's this virtual forest that is sequestering like million tons like a couple of million tons of carbon as james said it's really just about creating these incentives for people to do the right thing and to direct to direct some value to, to where it needs to go, right? I see this, essentially, you know, a financial system is two things. It's like infrastructure and it's vehicles, right? So we need to build the infrastructure, obviously. And this is one of the bigger problems with like climate finance and sustainable infrastructure is that we lack, it's really hard to send money from, you know, Germany to, to Brazil, or it's really hard to get a loan, get, get, get credit as like an entrepreneur in Peru when you want to plant some trees. Like, and this all creates friction and it means that things don't happen because it's too difficult or because it's too expensive. So the first thing is to create this infrastructure that value can actually flow. 
and blockchains is this infrastructure and it doesn't allow just for like financial like applications it's just like you know blockchains are inherently a coordination tool that's what smart contracts do they're really good at it and like climate crisis is the biggest coordination failure that we have so i think you know there's a match made in heaven here and it works for finance but it also works for just like tracking impact and like validating impact and like you know accreditation identity like all of these things are going to come together to build kind of this this network of nodes that can allocate the value where it needs to go and the other thing is vehicles right and i see carbon credits just as one vehicle and it's a vehicle that you know transports you know it's a form of results based finance mechanism if you want that just allows like money to flow from one place to another and it's not the only one right there's bonds and and I think we can be innovative on like these vehicles as well. It's just like we have to start somewhere. And for us, relying on some actors like Vera or Gold Standard that have built legitimacy over over many years is a way to fast track this this change. Because you know, a lot of people a lot of people are kind of skipping over this part of like rigor and like scientific rigor when it comes to carbon markets. And I think this is has been a huge problem in the past. And I believe that rigor is absolutely important to guarantee that carbon markets are a thing because we're dealing with intangible assets that are basically just a accumulation of data and signatures that like form these credits at the end of the day. And at the end, you trust the actors and institutions that put the stamp on top of it. So relying on some actors that have been doing this for like many, many years has been our way to kind of fast track and like kickstart this market. You talked about how you essentially need to build everything at once. And I mean, what I hear here is this big vision. But in order to get there, it seems like there's a number of these kind of chicken and eggs where, you know, if you don't have one side, the other doesn't work. And if you don't have that side, you can't get the first side. And in terms of staging, how are you thinking about and how have you been phasing the evolution towards what you're articulating for a vision? And, and where are you down that path today? Like you mentioned the 13 million credits, I think it was, for example. So it'd be great to just understand, like, what does that mean? What is actually happening on your platform? And, and what different stakeholders are you serving? And what, what elements exist today? And also, which ones are Toucan taken on versus ones that others, you know, whether it be a Klimadao or a Vera or somebody else needs to fill? Yeah, aligning incentives. Again, we chose to build what allows everybody to communicate with each other and to transact value, right? And like, I mean... Even for us, like the language that we use is very different to like non-Web3 people. I spoke to someone yesterday who asked me questions about, okay, so all of these companies that are going to use Toucan or something, and it just sounds weird to me, right? Because we don't look at it like that. We look at it as a complex system that has got actors within it that are all working towards the benefit of all of these different actors, right? So our strategy has always been, how do we enable others? How do we partner with people? You know, there's other people that like have taken an approach to like scaffold out like a very clearly defined playing field of what their protocol is. They've written massive white papers that are now three or four years old, and they ended up not doing much of what they set out to do in the first place, right? And I think our our approach has just always been like, let's start simple. Let's start at the bottom with the building blocks itself. Let's stay flexible and allow ourselves to move, but let's always try to get as many of these work streams happening as in parallel as possible. And the way that we do that is we kickstart the project and we look for entrepreneurial spirits of people to kickstart that project, always with the vision that we can fund them and spin them out later, right? 
And like, that's always it, right? Like, it's like, how do we enforce the biggest change or create the biggest change in the world is to enable everyone else to do so to their own benefit, really. So, yeah, I mean, this and just like really having an open attitude of honesty, like with ourselves, like we play devil's advocate with each other all of the time and we're very skeptical of our ideas and always ready to pivot and change. And simply like trying to figure out like how do we enable as many people and, you know, should we continue on the path we're on basically. So staying agile and flexible in this way also. Yeah, and this is why we, you know, call it the refi ecosystem and we're not going to build everything. Like I hate projects that claim that they're going to build everything because it basically excludes everybody else from their party and it essentially creates this, like for somebody new coming in, it creates this huge red flag where it feels like, oh no, I can't build with them because they're just going to swallow me, right? Like this is again, you know, aligning incentives. What we can do is we can create systems that align incentives between stakeholders by having, you know, token swaps, by having all of these systems where we all profit from, you know, building on top of each other. And to make it very clear, like who are the actors right now that are using Token, right? Because this is all very abstract what we're talking. So the users that are using Token, there's, there's on the supply side, we have project owners, we have project developers, and we have brokers. So I would say very traditional carbon market actors that they currently sit on carbon offsets or carbon credits. And these are carbon credits that are so-called VCUs, verified carbon units from the Vera standard. And what the token carbon bridge allows these actors to do is to essentially tokenize these credits. And essentially what this means is that we create a digital representation of these credits as a token, right? And we've built this system in a way that guarantees that there's absolutely no way that this can be double issuance or double spending of that, of that credit. So now what we have or what these people have is a token that represents a specific carbon credit from a specific project in a specific year, what we call vintage in carbon markets, right? And it was important for us to build this as an infrastructure that still maintains and keeps all these attributes on chain because that's the value of these projects, right? Like this is what James alluded to earlier is like, I don't believe in one ton is a ton is a ton, for instance. Like, yeah, I think this is too short-sighted. It's just like rice, you know, there's not just like one form of rice. There's like, you know, basmati rice and different forms of rice. It's the same thing with carbon, you know, like why would we create a commodity that is like so narrow? So, but now these actors, so they bring their carbon credits on chain and they represent as TCO2 tokens. So the T stands for tokenized or toucan or a ton. So a ton of carbon on chain. And now they have to deposit this ton of carbon into the first pool that we've created. So it's called the carbon reference pool. And it's very much based on the, or, you know, in line with the task force for scaling voluntary carbon markets, they've created this idea of like reference contracts. And essentially these pools are, as far as we know, the first implementations of these reference contracts. So a pool works in a very simple way. It has some like, like entry or like gating attributes. And basically you can create some like filter mechanism. And it says, you know, we only allow credits from this standard, from this year with these methodologies, for instance, right? So the first pool that we've created in partnership with KlimaDAO is the base carbon ton pool. And the idea of the base carbon ton pool is that it's this like, it's the catch it all. It's the first, it's the first pool that essentially you can deposit any TCO2 token, so any carbon credit from any project. You can deposit into it if it's from Vera and if it's a vintage that is 2008 or newer. And the pool is going to give you another token, which is the BCT, the base carbon ton, which represents essentially a coupon for any project token that is inside this pool. And the beauty about this is that now we have one token 
that essentially is backed by this basket of different carbon offsets. And now we can create a liquid market, right? So what we have now is that we make use of this, with, you know, these decentralized exchanges that we have in crypto. We particularly, we use SushiSwap, which is one of the bigger exchanges on Polygon. So we chose a blockchain that is not powered by proof of work, but by proof of stake to, you know, have 99.9 fewer carbon emissions associated with the blockchain that we use. And now in SushiSwap, we have a market. And as of today, the base carbon ton USDC pool, so this is essentially a market between this carbon ton and a US dollar stablecoin, is the most liquid market on SushiSwap Polygon with over 100 million in liquidity. And so this means that now anybody that has a wallet, that has you know crypto, can come and can swap their assets for this base carbon ton. And what KlimaDAO has done essentially is that they've created another, it's kind of like, I see, you know, Tukin is kind of this horizontal system that can power multiple protocols. And KlimaDAO is one of this protocol that is obviously the, the first one. And, you know, you talk about this chicken and egg problem. And this is, you know, Tukin and Klima has been this, like, we've been helping each other because one of us is the chicken and the other one is the egg, right? So KlimaDAO is creating the demand and we're, we're like allowing the supply to come on, on online. And neither could have happened without the other. So KlimaDAO now creates this carbon back currency, which you know, basically creates an incentive for people to lock our carbon ton inside of their treasury and mint a, a currency that is called Klima and that is essentially backed by, by carbon. So the actors on the demand side, like there's actors like KlimaDAO, which is essentially a protocol, but we have other actors that are what we know called the builders in Web3 that are could be like metaverse builders or NFT projects. Or companies, or companies that want to offset their emissions and they want to do so in a way that is transparent and they want to get the market price right. Because what we've created, essentially, we've created a wholesale market on chain that is also accessible for the retail investors, right? So you can get, essentially, you know, you can get your carbon offsets at a very close to the price or often the same price that wholesalers would get it. But you don't, and you don't pay for the middleman, essentially. And the cool thing about, I really have to emphasize this, this cool thing about Web3 is that this demand thing is almost sorting itself out without our help, right? Like we have market.xyz, which is a lending market that has just implemented BCT. Like we didn't do anything. And now we have the first lending market. We have Chida, which is a stablecoin on Polygon that has gone through a governance process that they have kicked off to accept BCT as collateral for their stablecoin. And they're doing it right now. Like, obviously, we're in touch with the team and we're, like, coordinating, etc. But they don't even have to ask for permission. They can just do it. So now the demand side is kind of sorting itself out. Parts of it is sorting itself out naturally. Obviously, we're doing, you know, our goal is, as you said, yes, it's to creating more demand sources. And at the same time, now that it's clear that this crypto climate thing is a thing and the base carbon ton is, you know, it's going to be the worst of all reference tokens because it's the widest. So we're already working on a new pool that's going to be higher quality. And as you said, you know, a nature-based carbon ton, a carbon removal ton, a nature-based carbon removal ton, a blue carbon ton, you know, like all of these things are going to come. And we're already working on them with different teams, essentially. And I just want to highlight this, like this is for project owners right now. You know, project owners are right now selling to intermediaries often at like very low prices. And then once they did so, they don't get any upside in any market movement. This gives project owners the possibility to just sell directly to the market if they want, right? Like they don't have to go anywhere. They can just come online. And and we have companies that are that are partnering with us that are helping project owners to onboard directly on our platform. 
and are doing so. So there's like hundred thousands of credits coming on chain every day. I would go a step further, right? It's like the projects don't even need to bring their assets on chain and sell them directly and get that higher price, right? Like they can literally bring the carbon credits that they produced on chain. They can use market.xyz to deposit this as collateral and they can borrow US dollars against the value of this carbon and then finance themselves with this, right? And then the project manages then to keep keep exposed to this asset of carbon that's going up all the time, right? And that's a big part of what's happening also. I mean, let's not forget, right? It's very difficult pre six weeks ago for the average Joe to gain exposure to carbon markets, right? Like how do you get access as an individual person to a rising price of carbon, right? Like you can offset yourself, yes, with a retailer, or if you have a special account in Vera, then you can hold these assets, but it's really not easy to get that account, first of all, and it's not cheap either. It's like thousands of dollars if you're lucky enough to be approved to get that, right? But now we have a world where anybody with a computer or a phone or you know the ability to learn can have access to this rising value of carbon itself, right? Including the projects. So that for me is one of the most exciting parts of it, right? And like we see people really, you know, embracing carbon also. I mean, like I'm just looking at the the sushi swap pool right now. In the last 24 hours, $30 million of carbon has been transacted. Like CBL, like per year, boasts 70 million tons per year, right? And now we're looking at like $30 million, not tons, in 24 hours, right? Like it's crazy. Like this is new stuff, guys. Like it's really, it's incredibly exciting. And I think by providing this infrastructure or this playing field for people to innovate and build on this, like we don't know what's coming next, right? Because now people are empowered and enabled and can do that with these building blocks. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a very interesting time, I would say. So one question I have, and part of this is just my own naivete about Web3 in general, but what are the common ways that the project owners or founders or companies make money in Web3? And then how are you thinking about capturing value? And I mean, along with that, I guess a more existential question, but do you even think of yourselves as a company? Are you incorporated as a company? Or how do you think about and what's the legal entity around around this effort? Yeah, I'd start with the last question. So the legal entity is a nonprofit, a Swiss nonprofit that is kind of stewarding the protocol. And like, this is the first kind of like key difference between Web3 companies, I guess, and traditional companies is that Web3 has found ways for nonprofits to have a business model, which can be a simply a token, right? So we can have, we don't have a platform token, but we can have a platform token in the future and essentially gives gradually decentralized the protocol through this, through this token and giving people like that use it, there are users of the protocol that are investors and the possibility to govern it in the future. So this is the first, you know, about how to monetize it. There's this, you know, concept of governance tokens, which allow protocols essentially to, uh, it's often called exit to community, if you want, where, you know, you allow the community now to govern your project. And so I think this is one that this is a very obvious way. We haven't introduced any fees yet. I think at some point we're going to think about, you know, where can we, where does it make sense to introduce fees that are, you know, enough to sustain a protocol because you know it doesn't make sense to like it's important to also you know sustain yourself to keep growing this ecosystem so we're kind of like we're doing a lot of sessions right now on whiteboards again like you know the different parts in the system where we could have a fee that that incentivizes maybe also the behavior that we want to see right 
And then, sorry, your original question was project companies who are these companies. So, I mean, when I talk about project owners, I talk about carbon project owners. So this is the supply side. In crypto, we have, you know, there's startups, obviously. Sometimes they call themselves differently. But then there's DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, which essentially are a you know, collective of people that come together and just build. And KlimaDAO is one of these, but MakeADAO is another one. I'm fascinated about DAOs. I really think like DAOs are going to change a lot of the, you know, the incentives in DAOs are, are beautifully aligned. And there's investment DAOs. I think, you know, we talked about this real quick before we recorded this. I think when MCJ DAO, you know, like my climate journey should absolutely be a DAO and allow you know, the community to, you know, co-invest or, you know, be part of the value that is, or kind of creating this ecosystem. So long story short, there's a bunch of different actors in this Web3 ecosystem that can use this. And I really also want to highlight this, that, you know, we're not just focused on this Web3 stuff. Like, we think this is also important for TretFi, the real world, however you want to call it, the meat space is all, you know, because for, you know, a traditional company, there's a lot of benefits also for a traditional company or for traditional asset managers, right? Like, Today, there are some asset managers that like hold carbon on their balance sheet as a hedge or like as a bet for like rising price. But it's pretty much a like non-productive asset that sits on the balance sheet. Like just telling these people that, hey, you can just put your asset to work and earn like a couple percent a year. And, you know, we all know that the interest rates in crypto are sometimes a little bit higher than in the real world. So this is a, a use case that is created and it is made really easy today to just like invest in carbon and even earn yield on top of it. So yeah, and really just to find out this, we have no idea. I just really want to emphasize this. Like this is a bet on building a primitive, what, you know, this like a building block that others can use. And we have seen things, we have seen people coming with ideas that we haven't even dreamt about, right? So like, we don't know everything. We're like, we only know a fraction. But what we do know is that we're running out of time to solve this crisis. We do know that crypto is extremely fast moving and innovative and like this amazing group of like smart people that are trying to do real things that matter. It's also a group of people and that's, you know, sometimes forgotten is it's also a group of people that often has made it from like a financial perspective. You know, they don't have to work. So that in the sweet spot where they can just work on the things that they care about and that matter. So this is a really good group to, you know, unleash on this climate problem, in my opinion. So, hey, here you go. Just, you know, play with it and like do something with it and, and improve it and build on top of it. So, yeah, we don't have all the answers, but we don't have to have all the answers also. Now, in terms of team, what does the core team look like today? And are they the only ones that are working on this or are there others? And if there are others, how do you think about core team versus others, if you even distinguish, like, how do you think about resourcing in general as you try to build more and, and do so more rapidly? I mean, what's clear is that the hardest part in technology is finding good people, right? It's really, we spoke to friends yesterday, also a climate protocol, Regen Network, who we really love and respect. And I think like people in the, people in the climate sort of DeFi space, like, you know, we know each other years and like we talk all the time, we collaborate, we're close, and we always try to figure out how we can align incentives amongst us also, right? And we were just talking yesterday about this. It's like literally like, you know, money is not the problem, like good people are the problem, right? So in reality, if we can enable other people to, you know, plug in to our building blocks with their building blocks, 
And they have teams of good, strong people that are smart, that are working in the space for some time. I mean, cooperating with them is far easier than hiring, right? So I think generally speaking, we all try to cooperate and align incentives as best we can, right? What about your building blocks, though? Is that is that all you? Like the, the two of you, or, or do you have? No, other... luckily, luckily not. No, not at all. Team of, not at all. No, like no. I mean, core team. Yeah, I think we have something like a core team. I think we're like 12, 13 people right now. Honestly, I'm losing track. I think it's probably more because we're like, hey, we're hiring and we're hiring more people. If you if you're looking for a job at Crypto Climate, come and join us. As James said, like talent is scarce, but. So yeah, we're onboarding new people right now that have been, some of them have been, you know, community members that just came into our Discord and just like delivered value. They just saw what needed to be done and just did it. And now we're working together on this, right? So sometimes it's not, it's like a spectrum of people that are in the core team because they've basically been there for a while. And then there's people that are, you know, very much becoming part of the core team then there's like contributors that maybe are just like part-time that, you know, they still have their regular day jobs, but they want to contribute over the weekend. We have an analytics page that, you know, really goes into like, how are these pools made up? And like, all of this has been done by a community member. And so the community is extremely active already. And we really want to like create the foundation for the community to really be even more active and unleash the power of community. We're still in this like early phase where we have to, you know, get our ducks in, in order and make sure that, it's easy to build on top of this for others and that, you know, it's easy for community members to pick this just up and they know exactly what to do. So we're investing a lot of resources right now and kind of like making it easy for others. But yeah, like the core team is like roughly 12, 13 people, I think. And yeah, we're looking to grow the team even further. And how are they incentivized and or compensated? And are they technically employees of the organization? Do they have standard employment agreements and things that regular companies have? And I'm asking this mostly because I just don't know how this works in Web3. It's it's a big mystery (laughs) to me. I mean, the reality is we've bootstrapped a lot, right? Like ourselves. And it's been a lot of volunteering, I would say. But otherwise, I mean, going forward, like it will become more typical and more traditional, I would say. But there's been a lot of love given by everybody in this case. Yeah, which is something that we really want to change. Like I personally, like this climate space has always been a space where people had to, you know, where the system used to extract a lot from the individual by, you know, relying on the voluntary work or paying people really, like not paying people much. I think we want to pay people and we want to have the smartest people working on this climate problem. And this means we also have to incentivize them properly. So we have people that, like, and this is all happening right now as we speak, you know, we're now we're basically formalizing these contracts and some people have like traditional employment contracts. Some people are freelancers and some people are like not, not paid or don't want to get paid. We have people that explicitly say, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get paid. Like I don't need to get paid. Um, and yeah, so I think that in the future, there's going to be things that change, like other ways to incentivize people also through other means than just like paying them in, in US dollars or euros or whatever. But yeah, I won't talk too much about this right now. But some people, like sometimes it's a very very boring contract that you just have with a real world entity. But when it comes to resourcing, though, the way that I'm familiar with if you're building a small, high growth, ambitious endeavor is you raise equity capital, typically from venture capital or other sources like that, that can kind of stomach the risk. And then that gives you the resource to go and build. What does that look like in a Web3 world? And and for you, I mean, has has the company been capitalized to date 
in any way? And if so, or if not, just how do you think about getting the fuel to get the resources in the future? Where does that capital come from? And is it what form of capital is it? Is it a token? Is it is it USD? Is it euros? Like, what is it? Yeah, so like so far, as James said, like we've been bootstrapping. And obviously, we're in a very privileged position that we could do that. Like, I would say the crypto bull run has paid some of this <laughs> for us. But yeah, not going to lie, it's not been fun to do it that way. We are going to raise some capital. We're not running towards that. Basically, we're taking our time because we really think that, like, we want to make sure that if we bring people on as, you know, investors, that these are people that are really value aligned and that they understand that this needs to be a community project first, right? And that they don't look at it as a, as a like fast buck and make money quick scheme, essentially. So there is a lot of interest, that's for sure. We are taking it relatively slowly and not focusing too much on a fundraise right now. Yeah. And then we definitely want to make sure that there's enough room for the community to run this protocol and that we don't give them away. Yeah, too much for like private investors or something like that. Well, probably a topic not for this podcast discussion, but gosh, I mean, we we're thinking through similar things with MCJ, just in the sense that, you know, we have this fund and we have LPs and the, and the funds are time boxed, right? But at the holding company level, given that we want to build a generational firm and we are so impact driven, you know, we think about resourcing and we're really poor at the holding company level in terms of being able to grow the team. But at the same time, there's so much to build and there's so much opportunity and there's so much impact to be had. But then if we have time box capital, then there, it brings pressures and perverted incentives that don't align with ours, right? So so really kindred spirits in that way. Yeah, totally. And I mean, we definitely have to get to like an abundance mindset and out of scarcity, right? And we have to make it so that everybody who works in this can give it their best and that they're not in a position where they, they have to kind of, they, where they struggle to make ends meet. So, but the beautiful thing about like Web3 again is that you have obviously traditional VCs, but you also have investment DAOs like the Lao or others that are essentially just, a, you know, often like just group of founders that like come together and they co-invest in, in projects. And then you don't have like one single company, one single like venture firm, but you ha- have a whole network essentially that is your investor, right? Or community members, angels that are like, that are founders or that, you know, are other representatives in the space that can really help your company grow. So yeah, this is, we're at the stage where we, we have, where we now know that we found in a market fit and that we want to scale this. And so this is the reason that we're, that we're looking at raising. Awesome. Well, gosh, I mean, this has already been probably one of our longest shows. Uh, I mean, w- one question I'll ask is just, uh, I'll ask you the same question I ask every guest, which is just, if you, if you could wave your magic wand and change one thing outside of the scope of your control that would most accelerate your efforts, what would you change and how would you change it? I mean, for me, it's like, you know, we start this mission with the voluntary carbon market, which is, you know, unregulated and the only international market. But it's quite clear that, you know, the fastest change comes with regulation, that like the power of flicking switches can really make things happen. So, I mean, I don't have like a wish if you were a genie so much as like that we get to a point where we prove like our theories and approaches and you know, that they prove themselves essentially that ultimately these switches can start flicking because up until this point, we've decided to take action as many people have without like asking for permission or without like, you know, having consent of governments or like, you know, operating on our own really, right? And like, 
my wish would be that like this was not necessary really so i mean let's get the chassis ready let's get the wheels on the car and let's get it ready for gas right i mean my wish would be like this gas basically and then last one is just for anyone listening that's inspired by what you're doing where do you need help who do you want to hear from if anyone we really 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 want the best technical people developers systems architects all of these guys like we want to talk to you but we need everybody right like i mean all of people who want to get involved who want to roll up their sleeves who want to be a part of actually taking action our team is incredible i have to say like it's full of amazing people who are super optimistic for the future and yeah we need to do this together we need we need each other right so i think like amazing human beings come join our discord you'll find the link on our website tukan.earth and yeah Go to tukan.earth slash jobs, see what's there. Contact us. James, Raphael, anything I didn't ask that I should have or any parting words for listeners? No, I mean, it feels like we could have another couple of these conversations. So maybe let's have a couple other of these conversations, right? Like, as we said, this is like just the beginning. You know, I think it's really cool that you explore this new field of crypto and climate. I think it's really promising. And, you know, if you need somebody to jam ideas or hear, like, a lot of this is about education, so happy to come on stage another time or even like off stage. Just if there's anything that we can do to like grow this community and make this climate the climate community more aware that crypto is not just you know this dirty industry that is like burning up the planet, but it's in my opinion also the the secret sauce that can solve a lot of these coordination problems that we have. Yeah, happy to contribute to that. Well, I'm I'm early in my Web three journey, and so I'm sure my my opinions will evolve as I get deeper down the rabbit hole in your words. But my strong intuition going in is, is as you said, that there's, there's not a lot of cross-pollinization or pollination, whatever you call it, across the two groups. And there's even some, I'd say, resentment, antagonism, you know, hatred, one might even say. But my, my intuition is that there is an area of overlap where, where great things can happen. And, and you guys are an example of a team that's trying, and it's super interesting and inspiring what you're doing. I, I can't claim to be an expert on this stuff far from it, but I will say I'm coming out of this discussion energized and super eager to keep digging. And and also we have similar spirits and we're doing, we're really kind of coming at it from different angles. So our networks are complementary, and I'm sure there's a lot we can learn from each other. So at any rate, guys, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and wishing you best of luck on the project. And let's make this the, the first discussion of many. Cool, thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. What's fun? Total pleasure. Hey, everyone. Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on My Climate Journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note, that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs 22 where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.